Today's sponsor is Sneakers, a DC DMV sports apparel company. Go check out their very cool designs at sneekis.com. Hoodies, t-shirts, hats, and at checkout, enter Pixel and Roll and get 10% off your order. Also, in the process, you help support independent media. So go do it. Thanks a lot. And now, it's the Pixel and Roll Show with Adam Morganis. What is up, Doe? Welcome to another edition of the Pixel and Roll Show. We discuss a fan base that wants a new team president, your Washington Wizards. Hello, everyone. This is Adam McGinnis. It's December 15th, 2016. Holiday party season is in full swing. My liver has been taking a beating over the last few weeks. Hopefully, everyone is behaving themselves at your work functions because the last thing you need is to get sloppy with some coworkers and get hollered at by HR the next day. It is freezing here in the nation's capital, and none of you want to hear any more about my weather updates because not very good podcasting. So let's talk about a brighter topic, those Washington Wizards. They are currently 10-14 and 14 on the season. It's been a weird, wacky week. Your favorite NBA team has been all over this place. Fortunately, they prevailed in three of their four games. I was at the Denver contest. It was awful. Terrible. The scoreboard didn't work at the beginning of the game. The Nuggets sucked. They couldn't hit a shot. Felt like the Wizards didn't even want to be there, but they won. So that's better than the alternative. I wrote about this on Truth About It. Go check it out. They also defeated Charlotte and Milwaukee. My guest today, Brian France, was at both of those games and covered them. He is a colleague of mine at Truth About It. Also works for 106.7, the DC sports radio station here locally. We go into major detail about those three games along with the Wizards' loss in Miami. And then we really analyze whether or not Jason Smith is now an (laughs) all-star. I couldn't even say that without laughing, even though I pretty much laugh all the time. But you still listen. (laughs) Also, another major topic on today's episode is me and Brian analyze the rest of the Wizards schedule for December. Spoiler alert. They need to be around 500 in 2017 because the competition level gets way tougher. I want to give a shout out to Renee Cottigan. Probably messed up your name, but thanks a lot, bro. He hooked me up with some tickets to the new museum, Smithsonian African-American history. I'm going to go in late uh, spring. He heard me complaining and bitching. Uh, on an episode I had with Rashad about having been there yet. He hollered, I'm all set. And it reminds me of this community and all the support and the fans that listen to this. And when you just sit here and ramble into a microphone and talk to your friends, it's a good reminder that people are out there listening. So thank you to all you people because without you, 
then this show could not exist. And, uh, you know, hey, anyone else wants to hook me up with any perks, you know, I'm always down. <laughs> but thank you, Renee, man, and, and, th- and keep listening. All right, this is me and Brian discussing those Washington Wizards. Enjoy. Brian, what is up, man? How are you, dude? I'm terrific, Adam. How are you? Doing well, frozen, aside from, you know, winter is no longer on its way. It is here, and it is vicious and wicked out there in these streets of Washington, D.C. Winter is no longer coming. Winter has arrived. <laughs> it's awful. I, I could have done without the 8-degree uh, wind chill on the on the walk to work today, but uh, enough about the weather, man. Let's, uh, let's talk some Washington Wizards basketball. They are currently 10-14 and 14 on the season as we record this. They won last time in Charlotte. They against Charlotte at home. They won. They lost in Miami, uh, and then beat Milwaukee over the weekend and, and uh, beat Denver last week. Before we get into these games, Brian, I just want you to get your overall sense. First time you've been on the pod this season. Uh, your take. Your give me some uh, hot takes or just your main observations of the Washington Wizards 2016 season so far. So I've actually. Uh a little bit later this weekend, I'm going to have a piece that's basically just a compilation of all of those things. But in short, it's basically we, we meaning everybody who pays any attention to the Wizards and national media, everyone kind of assumed that the Wizards had a bad offseason, but what they did the best was improve their bench. And the irony is palpable. It's just it's the bench is terrible. That That's the recurring theme of the season. But it's a theme because it continues to be true. And the past couple of games, there have been a few, a few, uh, I guess you could say strong. I mean, at least kind of strong showings by the Wall, Beal, Porter, and Oubre have all taken steps in the right direction. So there are certainly some things to be optimistic about. With that said, this is still a team that's four games below 500 and just can't seem to put together a week of good basketball. Yeah, yeah, I agree. The inconsistency is very troubling, you know, especially when they win two games uh, against Denver and Milwaukee. Obviously, we're gonna, I'm about to discuss this Denver game. But, you know, they had some momentum. They lose into Miami, a winnable game to a struggling Heat team. And they, got, they gained a little bit back, back last night in Charlotte. So it's at some point they got to dig themselves out of this hole. But they just never can see get anything rolling, and it, it reminds me of similar of last year, where they never won more than five games and never lost more than five games. It is a very weird team, honestly, and it's a team that always looks kind of unhappy. Um, you know, you, you see them in the locker room after the games, and maybe it was different a few years ago. I wasn't really covering the team then when they were actually you know making the playoffs and everything. But this is a team that always looks like. They're either kind of happy or kind of unhappy. You know, there's no, like, overwhelming jubilation after a win. There's no just, like, unbelievable... That's not true. I have seen some unbelievable sadness. (laughs) So wizard sadness? There's some serious so wizard sadness. You know, I've, I've covered, I think, four games this year. I could be wrong about that, but Gortat has only spoken to the media once, and he... I'm speculating, but it certainly looked to me like he was told minutes and be done with it because you're getting killed by the media. Hold on, he was told not to talk. You think? No, no. I think he was told to talk that particular night, considering he had barely spoken to the media all year. And this was, I think, it was um, the Bucks game 
he basically talked for about two minutes. And I mean, you've talked to Gortat. He, you know, he's a colorful guy. He likes to give kind of off the wall answers. And he basically gave, you know, very reserved, just concise answers, a few words each time. Didn't really say very much. I, I don't know what's going on with him. You know, he's dodged the media before. He started doing that a, lot, a couple of times last year. And then he'd have these quotes. Maybe this quote he said that, you know, the bench was terrible. And then, But even two years ago, something happened to him personally that he would allude to but not tell us. And then he'd get moody. But I haven't really seen it so early in the season from him because the, the losses have been, you know, frustrating. But, you know, they're still mathematically, it's not, this isn't the middle of February where it's all lost where frustration really boils over. It is curious yep. about how his, his, his behavior has been so uh, bizarre and to the media. I don't know what's going on with him, but I want to talk about this Denver game real quick. We're going to talk a lot about it. Let me talk about it for 20 seconds. I was there. I covered it. It was awful. It was terrible. I wrote that you should delete it from your DVR immediately. The Wizards won in spite of themselves because the Nuggets could not hit a shot. They were missing multiple players. They turned the ball over. Maybe you could say there's some bright spot with the Wizards' defense, but it was more the ineptness of, of the Nuggets. And, of course, the Wizards, in true Wizards fashion this year, and similar to Charlotte uh, to a lesser extent from last night, they just couldn't put a team away, especially a really bad one at home. That part was frustrating, but, hey, a win is a win. They won the game. That's all i got to say about that Denver game. And, but let's go to Milwaukee. So you were there in Milwaukee. And, actually, you can go read my piece about the Bucks as well on truthaboutit.net. You were at the Milwaukee game on Saturday night. I was with a buddy, hanging out. I watched the majority of the game at his place. Uh, I did see some positive things of the team at the end. But you were there. How did you see this? How did this game play out? And what were your takeaways? Well, so it kind of takes off from you know the end of the Denver game, and that was the first time that, for an extended period of time, at a crucial point of the game, we saw the the Wall Beal. Porter, Oubre, Gortat lineup, and it finished out the Denver game, and it finished out the Milwaukee game, and it played, uh, it started the Charlotte game with Markeith being out, and I think that's honestly the biggest takeaway of the week, it's, you know, kind of kind of stereotypical, but really, I think, I've been saying all year that the Wizards need to do something to change the starting lineup just to kind of put one of their starting caliber players on the bench almost like a, an Iguodala with the Warriors uh, situation, just to get somebody on that bench that can actually spark something. And I've been saying Markeith should do it, mostly because I didn't know who else would really fit that role. At the beginning of the season, I thought Nicholson would take his place in the starting lineup, and obviously Nicholson has been borderline disastrous this year. But this lineup with Ubre in it seems to make a lot of sense for a lot of reasons, and... I mean, we've seen it now several games in a row. Oubre had one of his against Charlotte, and against Milwaukee, it was one of his best games. And I mean, we're seeing it strung together more and more. And he seems to—he's always been sort of a confident guy off the court, but he now looks confident on the court. He looks like he knows where he's supposed to be defensively. He looks like he has figured out how to attempt an on-ball steal without fouling. Um, that's been one of the biggest takeaways to me, frankly, is his ability to not foul people. Yeah, you know, the, what I've seen with this lineup, and, and, and Brooks started using, with Ubre and Porter playing the four, essentially, he used it against uh, the Thunder and to the Spurs. Now, granted, those games didn't work out in the Wizards' fashion because of some late-game uh, failures on their part and some shots that didn't go their way. 
but he didn't close with it as much as I wanted to see him at these games or, or, or long stretches. And and now we've seen it. You're correct in uh, these last you know three of these four four games and three victories. To me, the development of the lineup, aside from allowing more length of Ubre and Porter getting out there, where Markeith has just not been that good. And I think Jake Wigger bowls forever, and I've maybe mentioned this on the podcast before, but he did something where he broke down like how Markeith has played in the wins and how Markeith has played in the losses, and it was, it was a big difference. So if Mark, And the losses have been more, and Markeith has just not played well in his games, and he even suggested that possibly teams are, des- are designing their defenses to, to make Markeith beat them. And what have we seen on Markeith? He's been kind of floating, gets a couple early fouls. You know, he might get it offensively here and there, but he has not been the defensive force, especially off the ball. He's disastrous off the ball. And making them beat them, and, you know, it's been off-balance 20-footers from him. And that's just not going to be conducive to winning basketball in the long term unless he's shooting out a high clip, and he's doing okay in that terms. But what I was going to say that I like about the lineup is that Ubre has – really developed in the sense that he I think that he plays better with the starters and and he knows where his role is he's going to go out on the wings he's going to get to the corners he's going you know been more aggressive going where sometimes I'd see him on that second unit and now he's trying to get his and force things and that part of his game just isn't developed yet and so the strength of his game is, has really been one of those players that he well granted everyone plays better with John Wall <laughs> the stats bear that out but that just his role as this fourth, this fifth starter with the with the guys is a lot better on the second unit because he plays a lot more within himself and then allows him to gradually shine. Do you see see where I come from on that? Oh, absolutely. I think, um, and you know, he is you, you keep you keep forgetting with him. I mean, yeah, he's a second year player, but he turned twenty one a few days ago. You know, he's yes. a very very young guy, and he really didn't get that much exposure at Kansas. He was on the bench for a lot of the year at Kansas. So this is a guy who, you know, he's still got a lot of growing, probably not physically, though technically he might still grow physically, um, but he's got a lot of mental and emotional maturity to gain still. And I think last year, I mean, rookies generally don't play well under Whitman because they're not really given a chance, um, young players in general, but he especially was kind of shafted at a lot a lot of uh out of the game and wouldn't play for three more nights and then you know this year he was kind of put in sort of as the only dynamic player really as of the second unit and said go carry this string of misfits to you know competent basketball that's a really hard thing for a guy who's still finding his way in this league to do when your your primary support is trey burke who isn't really a support guy. He's a guy who likes to dribble a ball for an hour and then launch a bad shot. Uh, Marcus Thornton, who... Similar. <laughs> not that far off. athletic at this point. Andrew Nicholson, who also doesn't really like passing the ball and isn't really conducive to getting assists because he holds the ball for 10 minutes doing pump fakes and then misses a layup. He's stuck in maple syrup, uh, Canadian maple syrup. He, his moves are so slow, it's out of control. So, you know, I think now that he's asked to, he's put with the starters and he said, go do the things that you're good at, and if you get in trouble, we've got a really strong lineup around you. Whereas before it was, if you get in trouble, the whole team's screwed because nobody else can do anything by themselves. Mm-hmm. And we've seen it on the defensive end, and that's where I felt last year that he was shafted, what you are mentioning with Whitman, is 
you saw him be active. You saw him defend. Because that's usually the bugaboo, right, when they say young players. You know, we've seen it with Sadoransky right now. And also uh, McClellan. I think that Brooks has mentioned about defense. Hey, they got to play better defense to play. Well, Ubre did play good defense last year. And then he somehow wasn't rewarded for the minutes as he was doing well. And then his confidence got shattered. And when he tried to come back at the end of the year, he just wasn't the same player that he had shown uh, beginning of the season. And I totally blame the coaching staff, especially Whitman, for that. It was somewhat Kelly, but mostly on, you know, how the coaching staff really handled things. And we saw the steal at the end of the Milwaukee game. Ubre has a big steal. Delhi had a couple of terrible shots. Thank you, Delhi, for your, your grit and your, your hard-nosed uh, tenacity. There is a, a player, Matthew Deladova, taking some terrible shots, I thought. And I thought that Ubre did a good job on the Greek freak. Uh, you know, he, he, was, he was sensational for them, but pretty much the only one they had. And I didn't see much of Jabari Parker in the second half. What was your thoughts on, you know, what was the player say after the game and just Ubre's impact of, uh, defensively? And I was actually going to mention when you talked about uh, Markeith defensively. I thought Markeith actually did a pretty good job on Giannis the couple times that he really got a chance because Markeith, for all of his shortcomings, is a very strong physical force. And oh, Giannis, on, the, on the ball, he's tough. Right? Yeah, and it seems like when he really wants to, he can be an imposing defender. Problem is he hasn't really wanted to. But when he got put on Giannis a couple times in that game, and it was, I recall one uh, specific instance early in the third quarter, it was at the very, very beginning. I think it was um, four drives in a row. And if I'm not mistaken, it went in order, Giannis layup, Giannis dunk, Giannis assist to a short jumper, and then Giannis layup. I think it was mostly um, Porter covering him, and it just wasn't working at all. And then... Markeith, I think by accident, was kind of backing him down like he had with Porter, and it didn't work. He just kind of hit a wall. And with Ubre, you know, Ubre's got those really long arms, and he's really quick and really stealthy, and he has the ability to get those steals. And obviously, there's nobody in the league who's built like, you know, the Greek freak, but it's, it's a really tough guy to match up with, and I think a combination of Keith and Ubre was the way to do it. And also the Wizards kind of got lucky because Giannis seemed to sort of stop attacking for no reason because he could have continued to do it effectively. And when he did that, the I mean, Jabari Parker had one of the worst games I've ever seen from him. Delavadova, like you mentioned, continued to do what he does, which is be generally bad. Um <laughs> I thought he was a ball hog at the end. I was like, thank you for those shots. It was weird. It was like, you know what we need at the end of this game? Matt <laughs> Delabanova to rescue us. <laughs> it really was. I mean, I thought that the Bucks had a chance to get back in there, and he took some just terrible, terrible shots. Yeah. I had a friend who was at the game who mentioned, because he, he was sitting, he got much better seats than we bloggers do, and he was sitting basically courtside. And uh, he was over near the Bucks bench, and he said uh, he saw Jason Kidd, like, every time Jabari Parker did anything, Kidd would, like, put his head in his hands or, like, throw his arms up in frustration. And he apparently looks, you know, just really quite, not disappointed, but just sort of frustrated with Jabari Parker, who has really, I mean, he's scoring a lot this year. He's averaging, like, nine. I mean, he's still a bad defender. He still doesn't really know what he's doing in a lot of, capacities and I think really the Wizards caught a big break because he finished with I think like eight points I mean he was bad oh wow any post-game comments you want to mention before we move on nothing really jumps out at me I've um at this point you know I'm still kind of 
on uh, Charlotte from last night. Yes, yes. Together. We'll, we're we're going to get there. Okay, so they win this. Here we go, all right? Two in a row. Miami his str- was 2-8 and eight at home. The Wizards had a day off. You know, they, they played Monday nights. The Bucks game was Saturday night. You know, they're feeling good about themselves, you know, after trying to get that bad taste after that Orlando loss, uh, disastrous defeat of last week, which I had a podcast with Adam Rubin on, which you should go listen to uh, this one previously. Here we go. Wall and Beal playing well in Miami. The Heat is still hamstrung with some injuries. They've lost, they've lost five in a row. Like I said, been a poor home team. And, man, Goran Dragic just lit them up. He ends up with 34 points uh, plus 26. The Wizards had a lead there in the third quarter. Uh, and then they let it slip away. And then Dragic sat out most of the third quarter in foul trouble. Comes back in the fourth. And uh, Miami outscores Washington 31 to 19 in the final period to take the 112 to 101 victory. And it was disappointing in the sense that it came down to crunch time and the Wizards just ran I ran a bunch of just terrible sets, didn't get a shot off one time, uh, just some hero ball a little bit from John Wall, guys not knowing what they were going to do. And, and Miami went down, and it was Dragic, Whiteside, pick and roll, and Washington had no answer. Kyle wrote about a lot of these crunch time failures because even though the bench is obviously – Bad, almost historically bad. The stats prove that. We saw some uh, blips here and there that they're improving. Jason Smith last night, uh, which we're going to get into here shortly. And, you know, once again, the bench wasn't that bad in this game. And here the Wizards starters were the one that blew it. And we've seen that throughout this season here and there. And the the woeness and the terribleness or the awfulness of the bench is somewhat overshadowed a lot of these crunch time late game failures of the Wizards, maybe not knowing what play they want to run. This played out in, in the Miami game. Uh, what were your thoughts on that game? Well, so just a quick note on Dragic. Um, I thought, I mean, obviously he was, you know, the difference maker. He was unbelievable. He had, I think it was a season high for him with 34. Yeah, uh, the uh, highest highest ever was a heat, actually. He the most he's had since he went to Miami. Oh, well, there you go. It was just, you know, I, I give him a lot of credit. I'm not the biggest Dragic fan, but he had a phenomenal game. And a lot of the shots that he took were not good shots that just went in. And sometimes there's not a lot you can do. The problem with that, though, is... There's a whole pantheon of Wizards killers. The Wizards have more experience than <laughs> almost anyone in terms of one guy just doing everything to beat them. Really hot and start making bad shots. The Wizards have the experience that they should know how to handle that. But they didn't. They couldn't stop him. They couldn't figure out a way to keep the ball out of his hands. James Johnson also, too, had 14 points off the bench. and Either him or Whiteside were being the pick-and-roll guys. And even when Dragic... They would go to him. They'd leave these other guys open for layups. I mean, they were easy shots at the rim. Oh, yeah. And, you know, there are a lot of other factors. Um, I got to say, you know, every time the Wizards play against the Heat, Hassan Whiteside just kind of has his way with the Wizards. And it's not necessarily with Gortat. He obviously outmuscles him. But I think I've noticed all year, and it's especially prevalent when you're watching, you know, an elite uh, rebounder like Hassan Whiteside, the Wizards just don't like sending a lot of players to the basket, especially on offense. But a lot of times on defense, when they're trying to you know, prevent offensive rebounds, it's basically, here, Gortat, handle Hassan Whiteside, who's you know, much younger, much more athletic, and bigger and stronger than you are. 
and he's going to lose that. And if you say, like, okay, we lost because Gortat couldn't handle his guy. No, you lost because you face an inferior, superior opponent, and you didn't try to help your guy. John Wall was the second uh, leading rebounder on the Wizards in that game with six, and he and Gortat combined had 16. Whiteside had 16, yeah. you know, and then McRoberts had eight. That's, you know, that's the entire starting lineup between those two players. It's a matter of if somebody is beating you, you need to adjust to help that person who's covering them. It just reminds me, like, you know, when I was telling the context of this game, and it wasn't as defeatist as I was after Orlando, I guess, but just this type of loss just reminds me, like, this is just not a very good basketball team. That this is an average basketball team. Not that I don't already think that or feel that, but it's just one of these games where it's like, oh, this is a game you should win. Yeah, they're not, like, the worst, worst team. It's not like it's the Sixers, but come on, this team is terrible at home. They're struggling. You got a little momentum going. Your best players are playing well, and you still can't figure out to get it done. And then when you look back at the end of the season, you know, this won't be the most egregious loss, but it's one of these kind of just whole home 50 50, 60. I would say 50 50. I mean, the Wizards should win the 60 to 40, 65 35, and they don't. And then they lose by 11. And then you're just like, momentum's killed. Now we're back to asking questions about pick and roll defense. Because I guess we're just going to talk about pick and roll defense nonstop. Uh, which, you know, they were poor at it. Now, so they come home, have Tuesday off, play last night, Wednesday night at Verizon Center against Charlotte. You were there. Uh, interesting game in the sense that it was a tale of two halves in a way. The Wizards played really poorly, I thought, in the first half. Uh, you wrote about this today up on Truth About It. Very good piece. Good job. Uh, and then all of a sudden, they just hit some turbo button in the middle of the third quarter, went on a crazy run, turned a deficit into a big lead, took control in the fourth quarter, didn't really, bench did okay, didn't give it up. Starters kind of put it away, but it all of a sudden, in so Wizards fashion, uh, Washington almost blew a, I think, eight-point lead or six-point lead with 40 seconds left. Uh, and then a Kemba Walker three rimmed in and out, uh, and the Wizards win uh, 109 to 106. Brian, your thoughts on this game before we go into get into the ending? Well, just a one last note on the uh, the Heat. Yes, you mentioned that the Heat are terrible at home. The Wizards are worse away. They're yes. doing away, so <laughs> that's true. Good, fair point. But with Charlotte, um, yeah, like you said, they they hit a turbo button. You know, a lot of teams can do these incredible runs. The Hornet, uh, not the Hornets, the uh, the Rockets, the uh, the Warriors. You know, these are teams that you fully expect to you know, be able to turn any deficit against them. And the Wizards just don't do that. The Wizards, they might slowly chip away if they're in a hole and then maybe get back into it. But in a couple of years, we haven't really seen more than a handful of huge runs. And this was, make no mistake, a huge run. And it seemingly came out of nowhere. I mean, Scott Brooks took a timeout, uh, you know, after his team had given up a handful of points in a row. Maybe that's what spurred it, but in the first play after Brooks's timeout, John Wall turned it over, and uh, I can't remember. I don't know what happened on the other end of the court, but you know it was probably like a good minute after the play had started after the timeout that the run started. So maybe it was like a delayed catalyst, but it just all of a sudden the Wizards stole every ball they could. It was John Wall poking out balls from behind. It was. You know, Kelly Oubre intercepting passes. 
And it was just breakaway dunk, breakaway layup, Bradley Beal hitting just walk-up three-pointers. I mean, it was very strange, but it kind of what you said, you know, it, it sort of it shows that this team has the ability to be very good at times. It's obviously always been a problem of stringing it all together in consecutive order, but this is a team that was down 10 and then all of a sudden was up 10. It, it was confusing. I don't really know what to say, but everything suddenly started working for them, and it kind of slowed down toward the end, and obviously they blew a decent-sized lead a couple different times in the fourth quarter, but it was it was a very strange game. Sneakus, yes, commercial break time. My sponsor, S-N-E-K-I-S.com, Sneakus, DMV Sports Apparel. I'm on the website right now. Hoodies, hats t-shirts dc virginia maryland football baseball basketball hook your people up with any of these gifts guys girls little kids they will love any of these presents and also in the process you help support wizards independent media and my show and at checkout enter pixel and roll for 10% off your order. They also have a special right now. Any orders over $50 get free shipping. So go do it. Thanks a lot. Now back to the show. They had five uh, starters finished in double figures. John Wall's line was insane again. 25 points, 10 assists, 7 steals, 6 rebounds, 8 turnovers. <laughs> what, a, what a lie. Kelly Oubre had a team-high 40 minutes. 15 points, uh, 2 steals, 6 rebounds. The team had 15 steals. And like I mentioned before, Jason Smith, 12 points, 7 rebounds, 2 assists, 3 steals, and 18 minutes for Jason Smith. Uh, nobody on the bench was too terrible. Uh, you know, just an all-around performance uh, for the Washington Wizards. And But, you know, of course, you know they don't put this game away. Uh, I thought, honestly, I went off on a whole Twitter uh, rant in the last three minutes. Somehow, Cody Zeller now is the MVP of this league. He got every single call, every 50-50 call. One time he traveled, fell over, he would get fouled. He was keeping Charlotte in the game. One time him and Beal got into it, a foul was on Beal after he shoved Beal out of the way. There was a charge that didn't get called, and then Wall makes a big, awesome play at the end. And Zeller bumps him, not no and one, where Zeller basically is tripping on himself getting calls. I'm like, who is this really happening, Cody Zeller? And I hate bitching about refs over and over, but it was like so egregiously happening. Four, five, six, seven, I counted like seven or eight calls in the last three minutes. Now this wasn't the difference of the game. Uh, and obviously the Wizards pulled it out or I'd have uh, I have a lot less venom towards the refs. But it was very weird that Cody Zeller was getting all sorts of calls by the refs there at the end. It was very bizarre, and you were by no means the only person. Cocker, maybe that'd be one thing, because he's like an explosive guy, and all of his movements are so quick that it's kind of hard to, you know, see if the defender's feet were set or whatever. But Cody Zeller is just like kind of stumbling down the court, (laughs) and suddenly it's a foul on everyone else. Like It was a really weird sequence, and it was like, I, I... Yes, Cody Zeller has earned that call. <laughs> All right. Yeah, but then it kept happening. You know what I mean? Like, it, like, it, was, over. it was so strange. <laughs> and then John Wall literally gets hit by him, and they don't give him the, the M1. Now, John Wall's technical in that free throw. I thought he should have got another free throw. John Wall gets a technical by yelling into uh, Bellinelli's face, which I yeah. thought was dumb. 
Uh, they gave up a point there. They're up four. They turn the ball over and they get a layup. We want a bad pass. And then they're up two. Wall gets fouled. He makes one of two free throws to make three points. There's a scramble for the ball. There goes the ball. I thought Session, I thought, or not Sessions, uh, Thornton and Wall gets it, kicks it out. Once again, I believe Kemba Walker traveled on that play and that step back. They did not call that. Uh, Phil Chenier was incensed. He thought that that was a travel. And then the, <laughs> the shot goes in and out. And the look on the, uh, first, like, Brooks does a spin around. I saw Ted Leonsis go back into his chair, go over his chair, and then lean down afterwards. Uh, the, the looks on the faces of uh, Daniel Chafu and, and some of the bench players. Markeith was cheering, going nuts. It was good to see the Wizards show some happiness. But did you think that shot was going in? Because I sure as hell Oh, in. absolutely. You and thought it was in, right? Even when it out, went out, I was like still surprised that it missed. I thought for sure it was in. When Kim, oh, especially Kimball Walker of all players. Like, he's that guy that hits that shot, right? It looked from the angle where uh, Kyle and I were sitting at least to me, because it was kind of dead on, and we're a little bit behind and to the left of the basket, and he was in front and to the right. It kind of looked, and I have bad depth perception, and it came up short ultimately. It looked like it was perfect. Uh, <laughs> and here we go. And then it was not even especially close. But then Kemba Walker get it, and you know I just gone through this emotional roller coaster in the last second, and then... Kemba Walker all of a sudden has one. I go, oh, now that one's definitely going in. And it rims and it rims and it rims. I mean, it seemed like it was an hour that it was rimming around. And then it falls out. And it was funny. I don't even remember who asked the question, but obviously pretty much everyone when they were interviewed, like the first thing they were asked was, you know, did you thought, think that shot was going in? What did you think of the shot? Whatever. And Beal was asked, and he goes, he just kind of like stops and sort of like, you know, his eyes get a little wider. goes, you want to know what I really think? And then he kind of backed off from that. He goes, but yeah, you know, I just really thought that was in. Like, my heart stopped. I figured this was going to overtime, whatever. And then he ends it saying something along the lines of, you know, it's just nice for once that that shot didn't go in. You know, for once, like, we get the break. For once, like, somebody else has their shot rim out. It would have been the third one already this season in 24 games. Uh, Gasol and Westbrook. And it would have been Kemba being the third one to, to tie the game to overtime. And, of course, the Wizards went 0-2 in those games. Exactly. And, he, and Brooks mentioned that. He goes, you know, every time this season this has kind of happened, it's always gone in. They've taken hard shots or difficult looks at the, at the buzzer. And it's always gone in. And he's right. Maybe this will be one of those tied turning games. You know, if the Wizards rattle off four or five wins in a row, we might look at this and be man, that was the time that it finally fell the Wizards' way. Yeah. Or Yeah, no, you're right. It's certainly possible that that won't be the case at all. <laughs> I mean, we should circle this victory. Uh, even though Kyle said there was probably arguably the best victory of the season for the team. I would oh, say I, maybe, maybe the Hawks earlier in the year, but that was still... Teams are trying to figure themselves out. But on paper, this probably is the best victory they've had all season. I would say it is, and if for no other reason, just because of two things. One, because, I mean, the first half was just so bad for both teams. It was just not a fun game of basketball. And then the beginning of the third quarter, you know, the Wizards kind of came out slow, and it just didn't really look like that. I don't know. It just had, to me, it very much had a feeling of, the Hornets look like they're about to stretch this into like a 15, 18 point lead, and that'll be that. And then all of a sudden, the Wizards flipped a switch, and it was this huge turnaround. 
and then, you know, naturally they take a double-digit lead entering the fourth quarter, and they give up the lead, and it's a tie game there, and you go, this very much has the feeling of, you know, the Wizards kind of play with your emotions, get you to think, like, oh, they've you know, they, they've crossed this path, they're finally going to, they've gotten over the hump, they're finally going to pull out this victory, and then they give it all away, but then suddenly they catch a break, Walker shot misses, and the Wizards have won, you know, what, four and five? Yeah. Or, or yeah. Three out of four. Three out of four, four, yeah. four out of six, I think. Yep, yep, that's right. So, so well, let's, let's uh, talk, I know you're going to get going, and we'll, I'll have you back on, and we'll go into some more in-depth Things about this team because I'm sure they'll still exist. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure the Sadoransky and the bench and you know, the lineup and rotations and you know all those things of this team crunch time woes like I mentioned earlier. Uh, they will still linger. I'm pretty positive here, Brian, that they're not going yeah. away. Hey, so, but on the other hand, Jason Smith might be the MVP of the league by the time we're next talking. Dude, he uh, was the t- number one trending topic in Washington, D.C. last night on, on Twitter. <laughs> I, I, actually, I put that on my tweeted it out. I mean, not just he was trending, dude, on the top ten list. He was number one, Jason That's- Smith. We all knew the day was coming. In Washington, D.C., I don't know if that means nobody was tweeting last night at 11, 11 p.m., but the Jason Smith game, I told people out there that they had the game. Uh, just a newsflash for you all, uh, he's still pretty terrible. So, uh, the, the, and, and hopefully we can get Yamahimi. Any, any, any Yamahimi updates from last night? Are we still just day-to-day on the ultimate tendonitis for Infinity? Yeah. Is, that, is that what you heard? No real updates. Um, Kyle and I were kind of joking before the game, the charity fashion show that a lot of DC athletes participated in. Um, and he apparently was, you know, kind of, he was walking down the catwalk and apparently had some nice moves or whatever. And we were kind of joking about that. And then as Dan Steinberg tweeted out, his house is fully decorated for the holidays. And so, you know, the jokes are there too. Like, oh, he can put up his decorations but not play. <laughs> And obviously, those are completely different things, but kind of. Yeah, I, I'm not making those cheap jokes yet. Uh, those are, that's, that's, jokes, but the jokes are there to be made for those. <laughs> oh, I saw his hat. I, I did say his hat and then had all these players. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I forgot about Yamahimi's here. Thing is, you know what's too? They misspelled his name on, on the invite on Facebook, too, by the way. <laughs> Of course they did. <laughs> I wanted to, I, I actually caught the typo because I just copied them. They had the names on the invite, so I was tweeting it out. And then I was like, dude, this is misspelled. And I was like, man, poor guy. Can't play a game and he's getting misspelled on a, on a domestic violence prevention fundraiser. Uh, look, I also, also noticed how... Uh, Otto looked like he, he was dressed like a 40-year-old man, and Ubre was had some pants that were like he was 16. <laughs> I, well, Kelly Ubre after the game last night, was wearing like a black like fur coat. <laughs> it wasn't even like, like a big, long fur coat. It was like a waist-level coat. coat. It, ridiculous? It was ridiculous. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Well, Brad, I knew you got to give it a go, but quickly on the upcoming schedule, they play the Pistons Friday night. They play the Clippers at home on Sunday. Then next week, they play on a back-to-back. So Sunday Clippers, and then at Indy on Monday, at Chicago, and at Milwaukee. Uh, these games are tougher, especially on the road. What are your thoughts here on the upcoming schedule, uh, briefly, before we jam? So they have, let's see, it's two, four, six, eight. They got eight games before New Year's. I think 
and three of those are away in a row, like you mentioned, the Indiana-Chicago-Milwaukee trip. I think we're going to have a very good idea of how this team's going to finish by the 1st of January. I think if they continue on this recent, you know, kind of win two, lose one, or win three, lose two, whatever, I think if they continue on that and we see a 500 or above record in these last, whatever I said, eight games, I think they'll sneak into the playoffs. And I know this is, you know, very much speculation, but I think if they kind of fall regress to the mean and, you know, they lose six out of these eight games and, you know, lose, get swept on the road trip, I think it's just kind of going to be more of the same. Maybe they're figuring it out. Maybe mm-hmm. Brooks has kind of found his way. Maybe Ubre's, you know, getting his confidence. Wall, Beal are starting to, you know, coexist, whatever. And I think if that is the case, I think now would be the time that we will find out. I fully expect to lose to the Clippers. I fully expect to lose at least two of those road games. One, because they're a terrible road team, and two, because Indiana, Chicago, and Milwaukee, not the toughest road schedule, but not really a cakewalk, especially for how the Wizards tend to play. No, I think you're right. I mean, there's a five games. Detroit it seems pivotal on this. Detroit maybe is a swing how this will go. They have to go three and two. Uh, in these next five games, they go two and three or, or worse, one and four, zero oh and five. I think you're right that the, the hole that they're digging and the negativity around this team, the frustration level, will only rec- increase, especially if uh, Yamahimi still hasn't uh, came to contribute and the bench is struggling or whatever is happening uh, internally with the team uh, individually or with the with the units. But yes, this once I mean I'm not gonna say it's a must win because they're all must win, but but like you said, this team has not been good on the road this season. These are three winnable games per se, but on a back-to-back in Indiana and Chicago and Milwaukee are two places the Wizards have just not played well lately. I absolutely expect a two and three performance in those five. That's probably realistic. And so then they're two and three, and they're twelve and seventeen, and limping it. And then you know here we are again, four, five, six games out of five hundred, and they can never really get any momentum to, to dig themselves uh, out of this early hole. And the only thing too, Brian, as I said before, a jam is that. The good part is the Eastern Conference is terrible, is awful, and the, it's a few games can swing them all these spots. But also that's a negative. And I wouldn't say it's a negative, but it also means you got to win games, and there's a lot of teams that can move up as well. Yeah, and you look at, you know, I'm just kind of scrolling through the later parts of the schedule. You look at the beginning of January, they open with a back-to-back in Houston, in Dallas. And Dallas is obviously not very good this year record-wise, but... This is a veteran team, and the Wizards, even when they are a more talented team, they tend to lose to teams that have played together for a while or teams that kind of know what they're doing, they're coached well. I mean, you look at the Miami game. There's been some turnover there, obviously, with Wade gone and Bosch virtually gone. But Spolscher has been the coach for a while. Dragic and Whiteside have both been there a few years, and they beat them. And they beat them pretty easily, it looked like. And I very much get the feeling that the Dallas game will be the same sort of thing. You know, Rick Carlisle is one of the two or three best coaches in the league. And it's a team that I think Wizards are going to lose to them, especially on the road. Even though they have the better record, even though Dallas is really struggling this year, I fully predict the Mavericks will win that game. Um, 
and then you know they they haven't played the Warriors. They they got games against the Cavaliers still on the schedule. They got a lot of games against the Raptors. They've got a pretty tough schedule in the second half of the season, and you know this is the underbelly that they need to take advantage of, and hopefully they've and and as things do progressively get more difficult for them, and also bar, bar yeah. an injury and barring an injury with this team as well. You know, I mean, knock on wood. Uh, you know, that's always a concern. Oh, yeah. You know, you got a three-game stretch to end December at home against Milwaukee, Indiana, Brooklyn. I think that's your best chance at the end of December to get above 500 or even to at 500. I'll, I'll take that. If you can't do that, if you can't pull out three wins on a three-game homestand, none of them on back-to-backs nonetheless. There's a game between each of the, or a day between each of the games. If you can't win that three-game stretch, I think, You've kind of sealed your own coffin. Yeah, you might have a couple good stretches later in the year, but what I'm seeing from you, Brian, is that they're ten and fourteen right now. That they need to get to sixteen and sixteen would be a realistic goal here. I uh, not realistic. I'm saying like that's probably unrealistic expectations. But like what you're talking about, like there has to be some credible movement here at some point, yeah. or we're, or we're going to run up against the clock, the games, the schedule, barring other you know other factors. We'll be mitigating as this develops, but we're just looking kind of big picture as we head into the 2017 season with tougher games coming up and more travel and, and players wearing down that they have to get their head above water. So maybe now they're in striking distance or when they give up some, see that's the problem is that when they've, when they're going to have some slumps here coming up and I've mentioned this, you know, they haven't built up anything. So now they're just trying to scratch and claw to get back to 500 all the time. And then when they have a swoon here and there because of the schedule or, or some other, other thing that affects them, they don't have anything uh, that they can rely on when it comes to the win column. Absolutely. And it's just, you know, you can say, oh, they're finding their rhythm. Well, are they still, you know, the games are the seasons more than a quarter done. Yes, I still don't know who they are. I mean, they seem to be a team that the stars can play well, the bench struggles, and they're thirty-five win team. It looks like. Yeah, and you know, it's you like you said, Mahinmi's been hurt, but otherwise, the team has been almost completely healthy, and that's something the Wizards have very rarely ever had. And you hate to say it, but his history has dictated that Bradley Beal is probably going to miss some time, and John Wall very well might. And that's assuming Porter and Oubre and MVP Jason Smith are all staying healthy. So, <laughs> and, and Hot Pocket Marcus Thornton keeps firing yeah. away those threes. I think we basically are looking at the best-case scenario in terms of health, and it's not led to much. We're, I don't want this on a negative uh, point, but what we're trying to say is that the next couple weeks are important. they got to get some momentum building at some point. So this team can maybe fully blossom to see what it is, or it's or eventually the next three or four weeks it is what it is, and yeah. uh, and what it is is what we're seeing, uh, you know, a struggling, inconsistent team. So, Brian, thanks so much. For your, and I, I took you over time. I know you got to get going. You got a busy day. Stay right. warm out there. Anything uh, for the people I know? Truth about it. One hundred six point seven. Anything you want to plug? You got you got a bunch of pieces up, right? Uh, yeah, I've covered the uh, two two of the last three or four games, three games. Um, but like I said, I got this piece coming out sometime this weekend, probably either Saturday or Sunday. And it just sort of kind of like what you and I were discussing, just sort of a 
here's everything from the season. Here are my takeaways. Here's what I think they could do better. Here's what I think they're excelling in. And just random thoughts. Um, it'll obviously be a little bit more skewed to the recent past, the last, you know, week, week and a half. But, uh, I mean, you said it at the very start of this podcast. What we had at the beginning of the season remains true for now. They have some of the very same problems they had in game one that they've had, you know, in game 24. So, Well, cool, man. Well, that sounds awesome. I'll look forward to it. Uh, thanks a lot. You've been a great guest, man. Well, hey, everyone. Uh, thank you for your support. Uh, and as always, go Wizards. Peace out.